Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench, everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at JustAskVi. That's V-I dot com. And here we go. My opponent is against oil, guns, and God. I am the Democratic Party right now. 47 years, you've done nothing. Everything Americans value hangs in the balance. We have an obligation under the Constitution to use every arrow in our quiver. This is the most important election in the history of our country. I believe that. This is Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. And welcome. I am Brett Winterbull. It is our opportunity to have a conversation uh, on this day in this episode of Devious Motives. This is actually, what are we, we're no, 18. We're at 18, 18 episodes in. We're two weeks away from today. We've got the election happening. We've got a debate on Thursday night. It, it is remarkable. We are living in a remarkable time. Now, coming up later in the show, I'm going to be joined by former senator from North Dakota, Democrat senator from North Dakota, Heidi Heitkamp. And uh, I, I had a chance to catch up with her earlier today and uh, got her to come on the show. And it, it, I think it's interesting to talk to Heidi Heitkamp because you, you'd be hard pressed to find a state that's much more conservative than North Dakota, number one. Uh, number two, they've got their own s- s- bits of challenges and problems. You have a fracking industry. You have Native Americans. You have an inflow of people who are moving into uh, North Dakota. And I think it's very interesting uh, as a dynamic. And I want to get her thoughts on a whole bunch of stuff. She is coming on as a surrogate for the Biden-Harris campaign. And that's great as far as I'm concerned because I have surrogates on all the time from the Trump campaign. I would take more surrogates from the Biden-Harris campaign, but they don't make them as available as often. It, the, the metaphor for what you see with the, uh, the, the campaign of Vice President Biden is really kind of interesting. It's kind of funky. It, it really is. I, I mean, they don't, they don't just put lids on Joe. They put lids on a lot of their surrogates. And you know, it's, as, as somebody who's in the broadcast media and in the podcast media, I find it incredibly frustrating because I'd like to talk to as many people as I could. I'm not somebody who feels uncomfortable or feels worried about talking to people with whom I disagree. I actually kind of like it. I actually, I like it. I like it a lot when we get to get to talk to folks that I, I don't agree with. I would love to talk to Vice President Biden. I would love to talk to uh, Senator Harris. In, in all sincerity, I'm not one of these talk show hosts that's nervous about his position and feels like, oh, I, I, I could, I'd never talk to them. They're communists. No, I want to talk to them. I, I want to talk to them. I want to see what makes them tick. Don't, don't you ever feel like that? Don't you ever feel like, you know what? I totally disagree with almost everything I'm sure you stand for. But darn it, 
I want to talk to you. So I mentioned uh, Senator Harris. Senator Harris was in Florida yesterday campaigning for the uh, presidency of uh, of the nominee of the Democratic Party, Joe Biden. And she, oh, this, this just really doesn't sit well with me. I, I don't like the way she refers to Attorney General uh, Bill Barr. I guess it's because it's a stylistic thing. But this is what she said about Bill Barr and President Trump. And I've got some thoughts on this, and I think they're worth uh, they're worth sharing with with you. Here, here goes. Joe Biden has been fighting for working people his entire life. And on the other hand, you have Donald Trump, who right now with his boy Bill Barr is in the United States Supreme Court trying to sue against the Affordable Care Act. And if they are successful, they will get rid of coverage that came to over 20 million people. Now, you might be surprised to hear me say, I don't care about the attack on the Affordable Care Act lawsuit. What I don't like is, and this is a stylistic preference, I don't think you use the term his boy, your boy, the boy. I don't think you use that when you're talking about a sitting American uh, attorney general. And I get it. Kamala Harris hates Bill Bill Barr. I mean, she probably wants the Maxine Waters approach to handle Bill Barr, right? Get him in the street and surround him and jostle him and punch him and straighten him out and, you know, just go full Antifa. But to me... It undercuts your... I get that you're trying to be street. I always love the, the backstopping S's that the people who are street will, will use. They'll, they'll put an SH where there's an ST. Uh, former First Lady Michelle Obama does it all the time. So, so does Marie Harf on Fox. But I get that it makes you more street to be like, yeah, and your boy, Bill Barr. I, you know what? It, it doesn't work for me. If, if you want to call somebody out in, a, in an athletic contest in a dance-off, in a rap-off, in a whatever you want to do, you do it. But this is uh, this is the Attorney General of the United States. This is a substantial position. And I would be disgusted if, if President Trump referred to uh, Andrew Cuomo's going to be a, a, a Biden-Harris's boy at the Attorney General. I just think it's, it's beneath. In, in a time when you really can't get much lower... It's pretty beneath. Uh, and I and I just would I would prefer not to refer to the attorney general as your boy, his boy. I just I get it. You're cool. You're edgy. You're dangerous. I, I get it. But I also get it at the same time. You, you do need to win over some swing voters and suburban moms and grandpas and uh, people who are squares that don't that don't go around tossing out the boy, the your boy, his boy, their boy. How about you just refer to him as the attorney general, uh, Donald Trump and his handpicked attorney general. That would be totally fine. Uh, Brett, look at you. Look at what you're doing, Winterbull. You're, you're mansplaining to Kamala. You're mansplaining to Kamala Harris, Brett. What is wrong with you? You are going to get in so much trouble for mansplaining at Kamala Harris. It's really, it's not good, Brett. It's not a good look. Many of you know that I endorse Newsmax uh, as part of my radio duties at WBT in Charlotte. Many of you know I have been on Newsmax. I was a host on Newsmax for three years. Uh, b- but this is a very interesting uh, component to me. This is in the last 24 hours, Donald Trump Jr. talking about what has gone on with Hunter Biden and the corruption of the Biden family. And he essentially says, listen, you guys wanted to talk about collusion with me and the Russians. Uh, take a look at Hunter. Look at what Hunter was doing. But as it relates to Joe Biden, it's not just the Chinese, it's the Russians and potentially the Ukrainians. And what's interesting is, you know, again, after four years of Russia, Russia, Russia and that kind of collusion, now you actually have real evidence of collusion. All the things you pretended you have, all the things that Adam Schiff pretended to see, you actually see. 
I think it's a valid argument. I think it's an argument that works. I think it's an argument that works in a big way if, uh, if they can sustain this. I mean, I, I think it's, it's something you can do and, and pretty much win that argument on uh, and say, listen, uh, what, are, what are you guys doing here? Talk about a double standard. It's disgusting. It's insane. It's wacky. It's nuts. Uh, what has also been happening simultaneously just in these last uh, hours has been this uh, full court press for three days to talk about the terrorist plot that was fomented against uh, a, a Governor Gretch Widmer from Michigan. I have, I've had her on as a surrogate for the Biden Harris. I mean, look, I've had I've had a lot of women on for the for the surrogates for the uh, Biden Harris campaign. I, I mean, I'm giving myself props here. I've had Gretch, Gretchen Whitmer and I've had. I've had uh, now I will have a Heidi Heitkamp on from North Dakota. So, I mean, let's 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 give props where props are due. Winterbull talks to everybody. Here's the thing, though. And this is an important thing to kind of pack, uh, you know, put front of mind. You have this ongoing look at Gretchen Whitmer targeted by these maniacs in Michigan. And the implicit part of that argument is they are people who were commanded by Joe by uh, by Donald Trump to go out and try to attack her. And then none of that is absolutely true at all. I mean, I'm sorry if you're part of the what are they? The Wolverine Watchmen, the Watchmen, the Wolverine Watchers. What are they? I mean, you sound like you're, you guys sound like you're a bunch of LARPers running around at the uh, running around at like some kind of a, a Comic Con thing. It's like, oh, live action role play. I'm going to play the part of the militia commander and we're going to go and kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. But. ABC News and CBS and the outlets have been like just working overdrive on Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, and they think that this all stemmed from that woman from Michigan remark from President Trump. I'm going to guess that the people of Michigan had their own issues with Gretchen Whitmer, uh, straight up political issues. They, they caused they caused lawsuits. Uh, they weren't allowed to buy American flags. These are people who were very upset. And I don't think. These maniacs in the Wolverine Watch militia or whatever they call themselves, I don't think any of these guys, uh, frankly, were going to be people who were, were really caring about what Donald Trump was saying about anything. But instead, we're caring much, much more uh, about what it was that Gretchen Whitmer was doing in terms of policy. And they were clearly too immature and uh, too, uh, too weak when it comes to the, uh, the, the situation with with dealing with politics to try to hash things out on a purely political spectrum. Instead, they thought the answer was kinetic violence against the governor, which is idiocy. And uh, here, here is here. Here's Gretch uh, talking last night. It might have been Weijia Zhang with CBS News. You know, what? It, it all runs together because of all the uh, all the different outlets that she's appearing on. But here is uh, Gretch Whitmer last night talking about it. We see some of the most vile things. My kids have seen it. We've had people show up on the front lawn with automatic rifles. So I've been very blunt with my kids. It's disgraceful and disgusting. It's every bit as disgraceful and disgusting as as you saw with Occupy. When Occupy was going to the homes of CEOs and threatening women and children and, and were getting basically applauded by the, the new administration in 2009 that was in the presidency. You had enablers there. Um, you, you, you saw... Uh, idiocy when it came to uh, attacking innocent uh, people who were part of Tea Party rallies uh, back in 2010 in opposition to the Obamacare law and the SEIU union goons went out and beat people up. I mean, you can watch the videos of people who had their arms broken by SEIU union thugs 
Um, it's wrong when Antifa goes out there. It's wrong when the idiots go into uh, Charlottesville and decide they're going to they're going to uh, pretend to be some kind of a weird neo-Nazi or they're going to be a weird neo-Nazi group of people that want to commit acts of violence in the name of racial purity. And it's wrong when it's Antifa and BLM uh, burning down cities. You know, I, I, if I had a magical wand, if I had a magic wand, then I could say, OK, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to suspend the ability of, of idiots to participate in the political process. I, I might actually just do that for the Republic. I might say, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to suspend the ability of idiots and morons to participate in the process. And if you were if you're standing on Gretchen Whitmer's lawn and, and you've got a, an assault weapon, you you, my friend, um, are an idiot and you shouldn't you shouldn't be participating in the political process. And I don't care if you don't like it. It's it's true. I, I think politics ought to be reserved for people who understand that it's a it's a bit of it's argument and protest, but it is not bringing out weapons and threatening to kidnap people because you give a bad name to the normal people that aren't part of your anarchistic, fetishistic nonsense. But of course, it's all Donald Trump's fault because he's a misogynist. Uh, I submit to you, uh, Dana Ness. What a mess. She is the uh, attorney general of the state of Michigan. I don't know what's in the water up there, but my gosh, I don't know what's in the water up there. Uh, Dana Ness says the only reason why Gretch Whitmer has been targeted is because of misogynistic Donald Trump. This is from the woman who on the first day of the big pandemic coverage uh, went on Twitter and said, I, I should have liquidated my 401k and invested in sex dolls. I'm not joking. She did say that. You can GTS if you don't believe me. Here, here is uh, Dana Ness. What a mess. We are one of the few states in the United States where all of our state, the top executive offices are held by women. The president of the United States has taken time to criticize all three of us by name on Twitter. Do I think that's misogynistic? Yeah, absolutely I do. I think her measures drastically decrease the number of infections and, and the numbers don't lie. Okay, I'll, I'll grant you that, that if you lock everybody down, you can probably control the rate of infection spread. Uh, speaking of misogynistic, how about Hollywood and idiots like Judd Apatow or Apatow or Epitaph uh, going after Kirstie Alley because she had the temerity to put out a tweet that said, I'm supporting Donald Trump for president because I like his energy. And as Kirstie Alley told Hannity in the overnight hours, of course, they always make fun of her weight, her looks, her Scientology. It's really kind of it's kind of pathetic how the tolerant left administers things, isn't it? They're either using brickbats to break people's teeth in San Francisco or insults to try to make people feel badly about themselves. See, see my earlier comment, Dana Ness, the mess. You ought, to, you ought to condemn what it is that's happening with Kirstie Alley in the Hollywood uh, world. Here it goes. They really, you know, they always attack the same three things that, you know, I'm a fat, irrelevant Scientologist. So, but, you know, this has been going on for 40 years. So I, I'm sort of prepared. That really is basically all they, they have to offer. So finally, back on what brought us here, we have an election coming up here in uh, two weeks. And one of the things that's going to be interesting is this Hunter Biden uh, laptop issue and the uh, Peter Schweitzer stuff that's come out of Breitbart. Why this is specifically interesting to me is uh, you're going to have Kirst Kristen Welker from MSNBC running that debate. Now we know MSNBC and the debate commission has decided they're going to put the president on lockdown. They'll mute his mic if he tries to make a point that they don't like and that they don't agree with. This is all thumb on the scale stuff. But but Joe Biden has disappeared and will disappear now for the next three days. 
You're not going to see him. You're not going to see Hunter. You're barely going to see Kamala Harris talking about Bill Barr, the president's boy. Uh, Steve Bannon, and I'm trying to be diplomatic about this. Steve Bannon has come out and said that they're going to drop a they're going to drop an H bomb in the next 24, 48 hours as to what's on that laptop, including pictures, including potentially illegal acts taking care taking place in pictures that don't have anything to do with drugs meaning underage stuff, meaning um, stuff that is uh, attracted the attention of a certain part of the FBI. This stuff is going to be coming out. If Joe Biden wants to hide, if Hunter wants to hide, if Kristen Welker wants to use a mute switch, this is getting out. Uh, I, mean, I mean, 24 hours ago, it was all laughing and yucking it up over uh, Jeff Tubin accidentally showing himself naked, uh, supposedly on a, on a Zoom meeting. And the reality was he was he was engaged in a personal personal act of self-satisfaction uh viewing pornography in real time while casting aspersions in judgment on the bad orange man and all i'm saying is karma is an interesting dynamic when it comes to elections let's see what happens next up next heidi heidkamp joins me former senator from north dakota i'm brett witterbull you're listening to devious motives you're listening to devious motives you're listening to Devious Motives. I'm thrilled when I get the opportunity to, to check in with folks who have had a very unique experience, and that experience is serving uh, our country, our nation, their state in the uh, in the United States Senate. And I'm happy to welcome to the program Senator Heidi Heidkamp, who joins us now on the line. Uh, good to have you here, Senator. Thanks so much for inviting me on and, and uh, for uh, the, the civic duty you guys do on radio. I'm partial to radio. I used to be a talk radio host for about four months, and I know how important um, your message is and your platform is to educating voters. So thanks so much for um, inviting me on. Well, it's great to have you here. Uh, I wish we had something to talk about. I'm kidding, of course. It's just, <laughs> it is. Did, you, did you ever think, I mean, in, in, in your years of, of public service, in your years of obviously being a uh, I'm, I'm sure from a young age, you were very into politics and, and civic stuff. And uh, did you ever think you'd see a, a, an election quite like this? Uh, a, a, a massive divide in the country, plus a pandemic, plus a Supreme Court confirmation battle. Well, it's interesting. People always ask me, oh, it's never been worse. I said, we did fight a civil war. Can we just kind of calibrate right now? And I think that, that um, we can survive four years of this chaos. I am deeply concerned if it's eight more years of this kind of division, and that's why this election is so important. Um, and and it's being uh, it's being debated and considered at a time when um, we are uh, facing one of the worst public health crises of the last hundred years, and so that has made this truly a, a surreal kind of experience. But I trust the American people. I trust the American voters. I know that they're going to get out there and exercise that franchise. They're doing this in record numbers. We think there's going to be a record turnout. And that is so good for our democracy. You know, as you as you as you look at this, you've got a unique experience. Uh, you, you served with Senator Harris uh, in the Senate. I'm, I'm, I'm picking my brain. Did you serve with with then Senator Biden before he was the vice president in the Senate? No, I did not. He had he was gone uh, four years before me when he was selected to be the, the president or the, uh, the vice president with Barack Obama. But um, I know tons of people and I work very closely with him on a number of issues um, within the Biden administration. I consider Joe a, a personal friend and I, I know his soul. I know his heart. I know his commitment. I know his empathy. I know who he is. I know who he is. And um 
you know, he is not uh, a criminal. He is an American patriot trying to restore the soul of this country. What what is uh, you you have the luxury of of kind of seeing things having served inside the in, in the institution of the Senate, but now also um, just a, a citizen participant, a voter out there. It, can can this divide be bridged if if it, if it is a second term of Trump or a first term of a President Biden and and, and uh, then Vice President Harris administration? Is is there going to be something that's going to break this fever or? Do we expect it to go on regardless of who ends up uh, getting the election? You know, we become so partisan. Uh, it's interesting, and, and this is just a little, you know, kind of political scientist point, but um, one of the reasons why you see older uh, Americans moving towards Joe Biden is because they have had the experience of ticket splitting. Even though they're Republicans, they have voted for Democrats in the past. And so they don't wear those tribal colors um, quite as proud and loud as, as maybe people do right now. You know, I would just want to remind people, this isn't a football team. This is about selecting the right leader for our country right. and, and by extension, the right leader for the world. And uh, to me, I think that if we provide leadership, if Joe Biden provides leadership and they see what we you will, in fact, uh, mend the tears and the, the uh, divisions in this country. It'll take a while. Um, but, you know, I, I think that we have to bring this country back together. And, and it's interesting because you, you're, you're somebody who you were you were a Democrat in the Senate, but you represent a state that's pretty conservative, uh, you know, in, in, in North Dakota. So you obviously have a lot of pragmatism you come at this with. You obviously had to consider both sides and, and, and try to, you know, build build that sort of a framework. What about this idea of everything is a zero sum game now? And, 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 and so much of that is obviously because of our culture more broadly. I mean, social media amplifies everything to the to the lunatic uh, level uh, imaginable. But but what about this idea of, you know, the, the, the meat and potatoes kind of figuring out ways to work? I mean, I'm here in North Carolina. You've got a lot of pragmatism here. You've got some folks who are Democrats, others who are Republicans, but they have to work together. And you've got to solve problems like pandemics and funding measures and things like that. What about that pragmatism? Is, is, is that gone into hiding on a permanent basis? You know, it's interesting because I'd like to say that that pragmatism wanted during the Democratic primary process. Right. I mean, we had people who were who, in my opinion, you know, le- less likely to compromise, less likely to listen, less likely to think about, you know, kind of other points of view and how those could be incorporated in public policy. And then you had Joe Bob, pragmatist, the guy who said, look, you know, I could promise the sun, the star and the moon, but you're not going to get it. And I'm not going to promise something I don't think that I can deliver. And that comes from years of experience, but also comes from somebody who's done deals, somebody who's gotten things done um, in the Senate and, and in, in his political life and understands how you need to bring the country together and how you need to be collaborative. And so, you know, I think I think that it's going to be interesting um, if Biden is elected um, to see uh, Mitch McConnell, I think, in all likelihood, might be the minority leader. But the minority leader in the Senate still has a fair amount of power. Um, Is he going to be working for a broader purpose uh, uh, to tackle COVID and get the country economically back on its feet and to do infrastructure and to restore our reputation globally? I mean, or is he going to be an obstructionist like he was for Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it's really important for uh, people who are pragmatists and to, to really reach out to Republicans and say, it's time now to work together. There'll be time to argue about what's the right policy, but yeah, hell no, uh, consistently and uh, for no good reason other than hell no is not a strategy that will move the country forward. You were uh, there in the Senate uh, for that last Supreme Court justice battle. It, it was a ba- it was a brutal, bruising fight. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh up there for for uh, for consideration. Even even a much more brutal fight than Neil Gorsuch, um, who came in on the heels, obviously, of the Merrick Garland no decision. Um, what about the way you've seen it unfold now with uh, with Judge Amy Coney Barrett looking to become an associate justice of the Supreme Court? Uh, will this lead to court packing in your estimation uh, if she is, in fact, confirmed along a, you know, a sort of a, a party line vote? You know, I've been watching pretty closely what some of my colleagues, former colleagues on the Democratic side have said. And and, and I think I think that that, um, you know, I, no one's saying no, no, no. But I think you can tell there's a great deal of hesitancy. And part of that's born out of the. The one blemish on on FDR's record has been exactly that. I didn't like the result I got, so I'm going to mm-hmm. make sure that I um, pack the court. Um, but but understand this: there's been court packing. I mean, and and proudly. I mean, we, we, when you look at putting people who the American Bar Association, you can say whether you like lawyers or not, but American Bar Association says are patently unqualified to serve on the bench, mm-hmm. but yet they're put there because they have an ideology. They should that the court should be a meritocracy. Right. The court should be a place where the best and brightest of of uh, my profession, and I'm a lawyer, mm-hmm. um, serve the country. And that hasn't been true. All you got to do is check the ideological boxes, and somehow then you can become a jurist. That's that's not a formula for restoring or maintaining the rule of law. What, what did you think of the performance um, of of Judge Barrett? not having not relying on notes, just kicking it back and forth between the questioners. And, and, and <laughs> OK, OK, this is going to sound kind of snarky. Yeah. But you don't have to rely on notes if you don't answer the question. <laughs> well, I see you're very, very well played. Very, very well played. Yes, yes, she was. She was certainly. You know, I don't I don't have any notes in front of me. I mean, I know what I think and I know what I believe. I think this idea of having notes is just silly. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a big note taker and I'm not somebody who relies on notes. I rely on what I know doesn't make me the smartest person in the room. Let me tell you. But okay, so at the conclusion of that process of the, of the hearings themselves, uh, there was one one key takeaway I thought that was nice. I liked that you were able to actually ask questions. She she gave the answers that she was giving, but there was none of this lunacy, screeching, screaming, uh, heckling that we have seen take place at, at any number of different sorts of hearings. It can be a, a Supreme Court justice hearing. It can be a, a confirmation hearing or somebody testifying because they're the attorney general. It was nice to actually be able to hear the back and forth without disruptions um, yeah. when, when that was going on. I, I was going to say that that when when people talk about the Kavanaugh hearing to me and they say, well, you voted for Kavanaugh, I said that the, the problem that the Democrats had with the Kavanaugh hearing mm-hmm. was the kind of circus like atmosphere that people watched and said, right. we don't like that. We don't like how you treated him. You know, it was it was too harsh. And so I think that that's a lesson that was learned this time around that, look, you know, you can vehemently oppose this person, but these have to be respectful hearings. Right. And, 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 and honestly, she is, is a much easier sell 
than yeah, Kavanaugh. For sure. Um, you know, so, so uh, you know, she seems like a perfectly lovely person. There's a lot of perfectly lovely people that I wouldn't necessarily vote to put on the bench. I understand. I totally get that. And I was going to say at the tail end of that, of that hearing, you saw a moment of brief civility. <laughs> Senator Dianne Feinstein thanking Senator Graham, and they even exchanged a hug at the end, and that set people off on social media. I mean, this is, this is how far out of whack we've gone uh, with, with the way a process is supposed to be played out. Um, one final question for you, and you've been very generous with your time, Senator, and I appreciate you coming on the show here. Um, when you when you kind of look at the at the array of, of the challenges that are out there facing us, you're a trained you obviously were you're an attorney. You obviously have served in the Senate. Would you seek out or, or consider uh, going and serving in a Biden Harris administration? And I say that because of the unique position you come from in North Dakota, a, a, a fairly conservative state. You're somebody who is, uh, has the ability to see both sides of the aisle. I don't think anybody's ever pointed to you and said you're a, a hyper-partisan person. Would you consider serving in, in that administration? You know, I am, I'm superstitious. I don't even want to consider that um, <laughs> until, until after this election. I think that, you know, the, the measuring the drapes um, that some right. people are doing is folly. <laughs> And so we are going to um, continue to encourage people in states like North Carolina to get out and vote, to vote your principal, and then then vote vote. Uh, you know, I have I've um, have a lot of friends in the Native American community, and I know all about the Lumbee, um, uh, thanks to uh, my friend Kay Hagan, who educated me about the tribes in North Carolina. But there is a there is something that every public official should take from from Native American traditions, and that is that leaders need to think not about this generation, but the next seven generations. Mm-hmm. And and uh, let's think about the next seven generations when we're casting these votes and who's in the best position to restore the faith in our country and restore the unity of our country, because that's the single biggest, in my opinion, the single mm-hmm. biggest challenge in America today is the division. And we need restoration. And we've had four years where the divides have gotten bigger. And so if you can say, well, trust Donald Trump to do it. You know, my, my, my parents taught me, you know what, don't pay attention to what people say. Pay attention to what people do. Four more years will we'll rip this country apart, in my opinion. Senator Heidi Heitkamp, a great state of North Dakota. I appreciate you coming by on the show, and I, I hope we get to visit again down the road if, if, if opportunity presents itself. Thank you so much for coming by today. Great. And go North Carolina. There we go. I'm Brett Winterbull. That's Senator Heidkamp. <laughs> Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.